When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So we have the recently released monthly treasury statement for the month of June. This is a statement that's released by the treasury on a monthly basis. Um, and basically it gives us a feel for the U.S. government's balance sheet. How much money are they taking in? How much are they spending? What's their monthly deficit? I mean, it is the U.S. government for the most part. We're talking about deficits. Sometimes they'll run a surplus, I think, on, on a monthly basis, but but certainly not this month. Um, this is a deficit for, for the month of uh, June. And, and kind of the big theme of this video is that the U.S. government's balance sheet, their deficit, the outlook for it continues to deteriorate. And, and for some, that would not be surprising at all. I mean, this is the U.S. government. They managed to accumulate $21 trillion plus dollars worth of debt uh, currently on, on their balance sheet. Um, they, they managed to accumulate, what, like $10 trillion almost in, in an eight-year time span during Obama's presidency. This shouldn't be surprising to a lot of people. But, you know, if there is something to be surprised, to find surprising about this data, this deterioration of the balance sheet, is that, you know, if you listen to the mainstream media, even the Federal Reserve, probably even, you know, the Treasury, the the U.S. economy is supposedly undergoing an expansion still, right? There's supposed to be a meaningful amount of economic growth, right? Maybe things aren't booming, you know, depending on who you listen to, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, you know, 2%, 3%, 4% economic growth, somewhere in there, if you follow the official data. But, um, we're not in a recession, you know, according to this official data, at least now. That's a topic for another video. How how accurate is this data? But, you know, following the official data, we're not in a recession. And so it would be surprising that this balance sheet, that this deficit continues to deteriorate during a period of economic expansion. I mean, we are a ways out from the Great Recession. You know, we're coming up on like eight or nine years post, you know, the end, the official end of the recession, again, going by official numbers. It's it's surprising to have this deficit continue to balloon. See, you know, if you look back historically, uh, people always use this example of, of why Democrats manage uh, the books better than Republicans. I think both are, are guilty of, of doing it pretty terribly. But, you know, Clinton ran a surplus in the late 90s, maybe the year 2000, I'm not sure, late 90s. It was a very minor surplus compared to past and future deficits. But, you know, I think it's unreasonable to expect the U.S. government today, I mean, given the amount of debt that's already on their balance sheet and and the interest that they've paid on that alone, I think it's unreasonable to expect them to run a surplus today if we actually have 2, 3, 4% economic growth. But I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, at least less debt right? A, a shrinking deficit, or at least staying steady, but that's not what is happening at all. So that's what I want to talk about in this video today and some of the implications of that. Um, the headline here, this is from Zero Hedge, U.S. budget deficit hits $607 billion in nine months as spending on interest explodes. $607 billion in nine months. Okay, we're nine months into the nine months in to the 2018 fiscal year, which began in October, 
So the last three months of 2017, first six months of 2018, um, that would put us on pace for you know a little over $800 billion deficit throughout the entire fiscal year. And that's, that's bad enough, okay? But, but the, the thing here is that the U.S. fiscal year begins in October. It does not begin in um, July, as I think it did in the past, begin in July. Um, and it also, this is important, does not begin in January, right? When we think of 2018, the year 2018, um, that's not how their fiscal year works. I mean, that's just not how a lot of accounting works in terms of uh, the fiscal year. Um, and, and the big change that happened during that period of time uh, in you know, at the beginning of 2018 was, of course, the, uh, the overhaul of the tax code, right? Um, it wasn't a huge change. I, w- I would have preferred much, much greater changes to the tax code, but, but, but it, it was a tax cut, okay? We're taking in less money now in, from, from taxes. And so what that's going to mean is a greater deficit, Okay. And so this, you know, on pace for a little over $800 billion worth of deficit over the fiscal year of 2018, you know, that's taken into account the first three months being prior to this tax cut. Okay. And so fiscal year 2019, in fact, I have some, some estimates here uh, from, from Goldman Sachs. Um, it, it'd be reasonable to expect that fiscal year 2019 will be even higher. And in fact, you know, the estimate from uh, Goldman Sachs is that this year the deficit $825 billion. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than that, but but we'll see. Um, fiscal year 2018, or sorry, fiscal year 2019, over a trillion, 1,050 billion. That's that's pretty significant. Okay, for a yearly deficit. The year after that, for fiscal year 2020, uh, 1.125 trillion, and the year after that, 1.25 trillion in fiscal year 2021. Okay, and this is again. I, I'm pretty sure that the the numbers that that Goldman Sachs is using here, same same goes for the Congressional Budget Office and and many other, um, I guess, institutions that that put out estimates on this. They're not taking into account uh, a major recession, right? A major increase in spending by the U.S. government in response to a recession, like we had back in 2008, 2009, and a, a drop in. Uh, tax receipts, right? Uh, income, I guess, for for the U.S. government. They're not taking that into account. This U.S. debt is ballooning out of control. Okay, and and we, you know, the the question has to be asked: um, When is this going to become unsustainable? And what happens if we have a recession along the way? That's the two questions I want to kind of go off of here. Um, how how much longer can this be? sustainable. Well, I, again, going back to some of Goldman Sachs, um, some of their estimates here or whatever, they estimate that in fiscal year 2019, so next year, this increase in the deficit is going to leave a financing gap compared to what they're currently issuing in terms of bonds, the IOUs, the government's uh, bonds that they're issuing. There's going, to be, there's going to have to be an increase of $300 billion worth of bonds for fiscal year 2019 that the U.S. government is issuing, right? Essentially what that means is that they're going to be increasing the supply of bonds on the market by $300 billion over a one-year span. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of bonds, okay? Um, And that this is going to rise by fiscal year 2021 to $750 billion, okay? And and certainly those are are subject to change, especially if we have a, a recession, right? 
uh, for fiscal year 2020, you know, if there was a recession along the way, fiscal year 2020, they might be increasing treasury issuance by by well over a trillion dollars between what they are now and what they are what, what they will be in the future. That's not sustainable. Okay, for for two different reasons. Okay, um, first of all, I do not think that that at current rates there will be enough investors that will buy up that amount of bonds. There won't be not not what we consider conventional investors. Okay, um, the the only investors that I see buying it up at current rates. The Federal Reserve, People's Bank of China, the Bank of Japan, um, and other you know governments or central banks, right? Uh, to to add to their reserves for for whatever reason. That's the only people I see buying that much extra at current rates. Okay. Uh, now the the other alternative now, and of course the the Federal Reserve is not buying right now. They aren't. They, you know, I, I shouldn't say that they're not doing quantitative easing. They're doing quantitative tightening. They are, if anything, increasing the supply on the market of bonds because they are taken away from their demand by, by allowing treasury bonds to run off of the balance sheet. Um, so that doesn't help this problem at all. Uh, they, they might be still buying some bonds. You know, basically, as some bonds mature, they reinvest some of those funds, just not all of them like they have in the past. Um, so it might be incorrect to say that they're not buying bonds, but they're not doing quantitative easing. They're slowly but surely you know, removing their participation from the market, okay? And so again, we have to look to to other large buyers, central banks or governments, I would think. Now, the other option is that, you know, if you want an increased demand from institutional investors or whatever, rates will have to go up, right? Right now, they're, they're hovering around 3%. I think the US 10 years slightly under 3%. You know, the 30 years is above... Ten uh, percent, and and you know the, the the curve is so flat right now that they're pretty, they're all pretty close to three percent yield. Um, they're going to have to go up if if you want pensions or or, or hedge funds or, or whoever it is that is buying these bonds. Um, the yields are going to have to go up. I, I couldn't tell you by how much. One percentage point, maybe. Maybe that'd be enough. Two percentage points, um, to, up to you know four percent, five percent interest. But but you also have to remember that that's not going to put the U.S. government in a better position long term. They're going to have buyers for their bonds, but long term, you know, that's going to be an extra, you know, 1% on, on $20 trillion worth of, of bonds is, is like, what, $200 billion extra in interest payments, okay? And, and with having to pay extra interest, that's going to basically mean that they're going to have to issue more bonds the next year or, or the current year. It's, it's, it's not hard to see how this can balloon out of control. Now, that by no means sounds sustainable at all, okay? And ex- over the next five years, I think in that scenario, we almost certainly would have a debt crisis on our hands, right? When we think of debt crisis, we think of, of a country like Italy or Spain or Portugal or Greece or something like that. Um, but no, if, if this continued on at its current pace with the Fed continuing to reduce their balance sheet over the next couple of years, we'd almost certainly have a debt crisis on our hands because interest rates would go up. Right, debt would continue to balloon. Balloon interest rates would go up, and 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 yields on these bonds going up um, in in tandem with interest rates. And with that, I think we would also that would significantly hamper economic growth as well. And it, it would not be it would not end well. Now, the other alternative is that the Fed stops what they're doing right now with quantitative easing, or sorry, quantitative tightening. Okay, that they stop quantitative tightening. 
and that they actually enter back into the market as as major buyers begin quantitative easing in response to any host of of I guess signals from the market, whether it's a, a crash in the stock market, whether it is a um a just a slowdown of US economic growth. It could be spillover from from other, I guess, regions around the world, uh, Chinese economy collapsing, um, major events out of the European Union, any of those things could qualify. And and you know, if 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 you're kind of wondering, you know, when will the Fed enter back into the to the market? Um, I, I would look I'd be on the lookout for some of those different types of signals. Uh, I think the Fed is honestly really looking for a reason to enter back into the market as a buyer to begin quantitative easing again, right? I think they're going to be willing to use any of those excuses, and and you know to some extent maybe the U.S. government, Treasury, Fed, will not that the Fed is part of the government, they will allow certain events to transpire, whether it's a crash in the stock market, um, a crash in the housing market. Uh, or some other event worldwide, they will allow it to happen so that they can enter the market again because they know that this current path for debt is totally unsustainable. And so then we have to ask ourselves, how long can the Fed be in the market? Well, they're, they're going to have to soak up a ton of demand or a ton of supply. They're going to have to increase their demand a ton. You know, we, we already have these numbers here from, from uh, Goldman Sachs, $300 billion for for the next year. Um, you know, somewhere between that for for fiscal year 2020, so 500 billion, 750 for 2021. When you add that all, all up together, that's you know I think over 1.5 trillion dollars worth of of bonds that are going to be bought up. Um, I think we it's reasonable to expect that the Fed would be the buyer for some of those bonds. Now, again, if you also and we'll get to this in a second here, talking about how a recession would affect these these um these estimates going forward for, for the national debt. If there is some sort of recession along the line, these the amount of treasuries coming out of the U.S. government is going to balloon as well. And so, again, you're going to need a buyer there, right? The, the, the whole point of why I'm, t- I'm bringing up the Fed here and, and how they can make this somewhat more sustainable in terms of interest rates, in terms of avoiding a debt crisis, is that by introducing a huge amount of demand into the market, they can drive down rates, Right. And, and and they can drag down the yields. And, and by doing so, they're going to stop this debt from ballooning out of control quite as fast. Okay, We're not going to have a debt crisis on our hands. Now, with that being said, with the Fed entering into the market again, perhaps indefinitely, right? I think next time when they enter the market, they're not going to leave it, right? Much, much like the Bank of Japan would or something like that. Um, they're going to enter the market. They're going to start buying these bonds. And it, they're not going to stop, right? Their balance sheet is going to continue to increase. They certainly will never unwind that balance sheet. Um, and, and of course, at that point, sure, we might be avoiding a debt crisis over the short term. Long term, that's going to lead to a whole different crisis. It's going to lead to a currency crisis, right? The government's going to continue to spend more and more, especially if we have a recession. I'm, I'm talking about uh, deficits of, of, of $2 billion plus a year. And the Fed's going to be buying that up. They're going to be printing money, essentially, to buy these bonds, to monetize that debt. And, and that's going to be the status quo going forward. The Fed monetizing a portion of the debt that the U.S. government uh, uh, prints, basically, or, or, or issues. And that's going, to be, that's going to be really the end for the dollar long term, right? It might not happen overnight, um, but, but long term, that's going to be 
much greater inflation because you know, you're going to see treasury yields at, at 1%, 2%, or even lower, even though what the government will be issuing will be you know, twice as much as what they're issuing right now. Right. It's just maybe because the Fed's going to be buying all those driving down rates and, and that's going to lead to more inflation because they're going to be increasing the money supply. They're going to be essentially printing money. It's, I, I, people always say, you know, quantitative easing, that's not printing money. It's more complicated than that. But they're going to be monetizing that debt long term. Um, and that's, that's going to make it, I guess, sustainable in the sense that it, there won't be a debt crisis. I don't think. I don't think there'll be a debt crisis. Uh, there'll be a currency crisis. That's what that's that's the fact of the situation. I think um, now the other question here: recession. What will a recession do to these estimates? Okay, so we have this from from again from the um, from the Goldman Sachs a deficit of uh, over a trillion next year and by twenty twenty one one point two five trillion dollars. Now, what happens if we have a recession in fiscal year twenty twenty? You know, what would fiscal year 2021 look like in terms of a deficit? You know, I think it's reasonable to expect a deficit upwards of $2 trillion, you know, if we have a recession. And that might sound insane, you know. But, you know, we have to remember that there was a time, you know, prior to, you know, 2008, 2009, that period of time during the Great Recession, that, that the idea of a $1 trillion deficit was unheard of. But it happened during in a recessionary environment, Right. There's a time in which the idea of a $1 trillion deficit in a non-recessionary environment was insane. It could never happen. And yet, here we are. <laughs> you know, we're, we're coming up on that. You know, essentially, if, if we ignore the fiscal year aspect of it and we just look at the year of 2018, I, I think it's going to be right around a trillion dollars, you know, if we take into account all these tax cuts. It's going to be right around a trillion dollars. Um, and that's, again, that's just insane. Now, during a recession... I think it's reasonable to expect that to double, at least. Um, and again, this, this gets in back into the, the prior conversation we we're having about the printing presses and, and quantitative easing. Um, but, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect that. And, uh, you know, wh- where does that put our debt at the end of, you know, I don't know, let's say 2024. You know, that's, that's a big year because that'll be an election year. You know, I've talked about in the past here in this channel, how much debt will each president add to the balance sheet? Because we're looking at George W. Bush essentially doubling the debt. You know, these aren't perfect numbers, but essentially doubling it from five to ten trillion dollars. Okay. A lot of that probably at the end of his of his term. Um, Obama essentially doubling the US debt from ten to twenty trillion. Um, and then here we are in, in twenty eighteen, you know, uh, um, almost a year and a half into Trump's presidency, and he's only increased the deficit by you know a trillion, maybe a little over a trillion. Um, you know, even by these official estimates, uh, let's see, what do they have for the deficit here? In um, by 2028, they have the deficit hitting 30 trillion. Um, but again, they're not taking into account things like recession. I, I'm gonna, I, I'm still gonna say, it. I don't know if Donald Trump will be in office at the end of 2024. I don't know if he's going to be reelected or not. Regardless of whether or not he is, I think over that eight-year span, I think I still think it's going to be reasonable to expect the debt to be doubled. And that sounds insane, but again, it, I think it's going to, we're, we're going to be in exceptional circumstances in terms of of a recession and and what the government will have to do to, uh, in terms of spending to try and counteract the, the effects of the recession, as well as you know just the drop in revenue, right? 
So, so I think 38 to, to 40 trillion, because I don't know what it was at the beginning of the eight years. I don't know if Obama quite doubled it, um, but, but I think 38 to 40 trillion at the end of 2024 is reasonable. And I'm going to double down on that. You know, we're, we're still six years out. I think we, the U.S. government has plenty of time to find a way to spend that much money. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's my take on it, at least. Now, the other thing I want to talk about here is another effect of this increase in U.S. debt, specifically the U.S. government issuing more and more bonds. Okay, I already talked about what that's going to do to rates. Okay, I also already talked about how the Fed is slowly removing themselves from the market. They're allowing bonds to mature. Basically, you know, each each month they they allow a certain amount of their bonds to mature or or their balance sheet to run off. Basically, that's another you know trillion or not trillion. Um, I think for this for for this quarter it would be thirty some trillion or maybe twenty some trillion or sorry billion dollars of of bonds that the that the rest of the market is going to have to pick up on right somebody else is going to have to buy that because the Fed's not going to be reinvesting those funds in bonds because I think they're running off a total of forty billion this month I'm pretty sure unless it's you know I I've heard some people say fifty but I don't think fifty started until October but anyway it, not, it, this is this is a small amount of money either way. Um, whether it's 40 or 50. Uh, but, you know, w- what that is basically, the, the effect of this is more supply in the market in terms of bonds, okay? Now, for the time being, those bonds are still being bought up. It's not the Fed buying them. I don't know. I don't think the People's Bank of China is buying a whole lot right now or, or the Bank of Japan. You know, we're, we're having some buyers around the world. Some are, some are selling, like, like the Russian government. Um, but for the most part, that, that demand is still being met by investors and institutional investors and, and, and pension funds and whatnot. And the effect that that is having is that there are a ton of dollars going towards buying those bonds, right? I mean, that's that's how U.S. government bonds work. You have to buy them in dollars, and then they're going to pay you back in dollars, right? And so that's that's billions of dollars worth of dollars that is going towards satisfying this extra supply in the market because of quantitative tightening and because of an increasing uh, deficit. Neither of those things are going to stop anytime soon. I think, okay, I I should change it. Quantitative tightening officially is not supposed to stop anytime soon. I think it's going to be, it's going to be at the end. By the the end of this year, they will be done with quantitative tightening or they'll at least slow it down, um, or, or stop it altogether, I think, by the end of 2018. I've said that multiple times in the past. But this deficit issue, that's not going away, right? We're, we're going to have more and more bonds that are going to be issued by the U.S. government to pay their debts, to pay their their interest rate on, on their current debt, as well as, you know, all their other spending. And that's going to soak up more and more dollars. This dollar shortage is really important, okay, because... It has been a huge contributor to emerging market turmoil over the last, oh, I'd say first half of 2018. And in some ways, you can say it coincides with the the beginning of uh, the, this this Trump tax plan, right? Not to say that it's bad. I'm just saying this is the effect it's having on the U.S. Um, dollar and, and and the abundance or lack thereof worldwide. Okay, emerging markets are not able to get enough uh, dollars for funding. Okay. It's, it's hurting these emerging market currencies and the markets themselves. I'm talking about countries like India to some extent, you know, but certainly the big ones would be like Brazil, um, Argentina. I think Mexico is going to continue to suffer personally. 
Um, Turkey has been hammered as of late by this emerging market crisis. That's only going to get worse, right, from this dollar shortage. You know, I think it was, oh gosh, it was the Goldman Sachs that that put out a uh, something, as we know, over on Zero Hedge the other day about their their terrible trio. You know, the three things: rising rates, high uh, oil prices, and, and U.S. dollar or high U.S. dollar rising U.S. dollar, or at least a U.S. dollar shortage that is causing this emerging market crisis. You know, that dollar shortage, I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. I don't. Um, the, the only thing that I think is going to be able to alleviate that U.S. dollar shortage is going to be once the Fed enters back into the market as a buyer, once they begin quantitative easing again, right? Um, yeah, I, that's the only way I see it happening. And, and, you know, until then, I think these emerging markets and their currencies are going to continue to suffer, you know, unless they find some other way to do business, some other, you know, if the U.S. dollar altogether is, I don't know, shorted by multiple countries or multiple countries try to, to find more and more ways to, to get out of the U.S. dollar, um, you know, if, if nothing else, maybe this U.S. dollar shortage will have that effect that countries like Brazil, Turkey, Argentina, um, Will, will kind of join ranks with some of these other countries that have chosen to do their business in the euro or in the yuan or the, the ruble or rupee or whatever it is. Um, maybe they'll they'll kind of join ranks with them because they realize that this U.S. dollar system is not something they're benefiting from currently. You know, join ranks with, with the likes of uh, Iran or, I don't know, maybe Venezuela or, or, or China or Russia um, because... You know, the U.S. dollar system is not benefiting these countries currently. So um, that's another thing to look out for. You know, another implication of these rising deficits is what it's going to mean for the U.S. dollar shortage going forward and emerging markets. And again, this emerging markets is something to keep an eye on. I talked about in my video that I published yesterday. Emerging markets, something to keep an eye on. Um, I think there's an increasing risk that these these uh, market events in these countries will continue to spill over into emerged markets <laughs> developed economies like like europe and, and like the u.s so well that's my thoughts on it i'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section on the rising u.s debt and, and i hope I, I did a good job of really explaining this this is by no means a brief video a brief explanation but i hope going into more depth on these topics uh, i i think a lot of my viewers enjoy that so as always thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video and god bless